Today's podcast is brought to you by Eggshell Light Company. For over 45 years, Eggshell Light Company has been the go-to specialty shop handling the lighting needs for all that grace the shores of beautiful Hawaii. Combining the artistic methods of the theater with the speed and efficiency of the musical touring industry, they have pioneered event lighting throughout the Hawaiian Islands. They specialize in supply of top shelf equipment and designers for broadcast concerts, corporate, and special events. From the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients, they know this is your most important event. It is their goal to make sure you feel that way. Aloha from Eggshell Light Company. Welcome everyone to another episode of LD at Large podcast. My name is Chris Lose. I am the designer relations developer at Ayrton Lighting, as well as columnist for PLSN Magazine. Today is kind of a serendipitous podcast because I have one of my very longtime favorite besties on the, her name is Tess Falcone. She is the lighting designer, director, and programmer out of Denver, Colorado. She's had uh, such wonderful clients as Ben Folds, Jimmy Eat World, and Weezer are topping the list of some of my favorite bands that she's worked for. Thank you so much for making the time to chat with me today, Tess. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> I'm excited to have you. Uh, so I was just about to tell you how amazing it is that today is our podcast day because I just went out and I took the garbage out and the little flag was up on my mail and I have a letter from you in my mail. <laughs> it's a beautiful piece of orange uh, figure art these looks like it was made on a crafting table of some sort and it is it it, i have to tell you hit me right in the feels it's actually like getting a letter up here in canada is is it's it's beyond the scope of what is reasonably acceptable for some of the people to to actually get a letter up here i mean it did take i think what six weeks I think yeah. I sent it six weeks ago, so I can't yay, quite make out. Yeah, I can't quite make out the the postmark, but it's the end of March sometime, and now it's May, yeah. the middle of May. So and we're I still in imagine this. there was there's probably like some dog sled marks on here. I'm sure <laughs> it's been tossed through some sacks and some. Yeah, you know, I don't know what it took to get it up here, but it, it really means a lot to me. Well, I'm so glad. That was the whole point is, you know, people love the mail and, or at least, you know, people love getting mail. And I know that everybody in our industry is going through a really hard time right now and they're not used to being able to get mail every day. So hopefully we can, I can just cheer up some of my friends. How often are your friends at home to even receive mail? Never. Never. Most of the people that I know are home, you know, two months out of the year if that. So PO boxes. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of people that are like, Oh yeah. Thanks for sending some mail to my roommate who lives at my house. Uh, yep. I'll get it when I get home. Thank you so much yep. for that. They open it up. So um, thanks for posting those nudes. <laughs> so your this piece of art that you sent me looks very unique but you spent some time and effort on this i did i did i've been playing around with watercolors because it's a it's a thing that i don't use very much and i found that i could work on a handful of cards at once and like let one dry and then do some other stuff and i was enjoying i went through um i went through probably three or four rolls of, of of painter's tape while I was doing that because I was enjoying masking off different sections of the card. So I actually have this giant ball of uh, painter's tape right now that is all just like these curly cues of like really thin strips of painter's tape from all the cards uh, the, I was making. For those of you that can't see it, the, the ball is about the size of her head. It's a it's big mostly, ball of blue painter's tape. It's, it's pretty much the ball of tape that you would imagine to be sitting in the... Uh, in the trust detaping area of the in inbound oh. at uh, <laughs> a local shop. Except it's like a fro because it's of all of the curly cues of pulling them up. <laughs> Even your tape balls are more artistic than mine. That's 
you know, that was the goal. There you go. I didn't even want to send anybody cards. I just wanted to make a really interesting table. <laughs> so this is something you've been doing for a while. You actually just take time to sit down and send some, some, some postcards or uh, just letters usually, to your friends. Usually it's a Christmas thing. So I'll usually send out a bunch like probably 20 to 30 Christmas cards every year of just to random people. Um, just homemade, whatever. Hopefully I don't tour in December and then I can get that done. But I actually, this last year I was touring right up until the 23rd, I think. And so I ended up, um, I had a couple days off in Los Angeles. And so I stopped by my partner's house and made him buy me a bunch of art supplies. And so I could do some remote crafting. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) But this year I have so much time. I can make so many cards. So much time. It's so stupid. It's way too much time. I don't know what to do with myself. No, it's, it's all, it's, it's like a lost art sending letters. So if oh, that's what keeps the, the imagination juices flowing, I'm, I'm all into it. Yeah. Cause where else are we, like, how else are we using, like, what are, what other outlets do we have right now for our creativity? Yeah. So one of the reasons that I had set this up in the first place long before I got the beautiful art letter was that your Facebook feed in particular is full of art galleries from your days off on tour. I know that you make it a a large priority to visit art galleries on days off. Yep. Now you have all the days off in the world and And no no art galleries to go to. I don't What's know. It, like, it's like, it the saddest. It is the saddest thing. It is. I mean, it's interesting because one of the reasons that I go to art museums on days off is, I mean, partially for the inspiration and because I, I just truly love art, but also it is a really nice, relaxing thing to do on a day off where I can just be by myself and just take in the quiet time of being in a museum. And, uh, and early on in tour, in my touring career, I figured out that um that like while you like a lot of the art museums have the same artists on display you'll be seeing different pieces from them but also you'll get more familiar with the artists that you like because you are seeing so much repetition in it Um, Mm -hmm. so i really started enjoying that side of it do you find that you can see a theme through their art where you can kind of recognize their their motif definitely uh, and I definitely started picking out some favorites of, of people that I really enjoyed seeing just for, for one reason or one reason or another, you know, there's a, like, of course I do lighting. So I like light art. Um, but mm. I also, you know, I enjoy some of the, like some of the minimalists a lot. Um, it, like, like Donald Judd and Dan Flavin who were just, you know, simple shapes, but also like they evoke this like feeling in you while you're enjoying it. One of the things I love about visiting art galleries is that there's no music. Yeah. In general, you know, don't get me wrong. I love, I love art music. I love music and I love concerts and everything. And I love listening to it at a hundred and some odd DB day after day, after day, after day. But man, to just escape the music for a few for a few hours and go to an art gallery is just enjoy the quiet. Just enjoy the quiet. Yeah. In fact, if you start playing music at an art gallery, somebody will come by and they will shush you. I know it's great. It's one yeah. of my favorite things. Like I feel like we just get so much fatigue from concerts that our ears need a break on days off. Hmm. I mean, as much ear protection as you put on, there's only so much you can do. <laughs> on top of music pollu- or sound pollution, we're also in a society that seems to celebrate clutter pollution. There's just screens everywhere. There's stuff yelling at you everywhere. There's just, I mean, you can't go to a, a bar anymore without being screens behind the bar you go to a restaurant my kids are terrible and and i'm guilty of it myself is just being distracted by screens everywhere yeah 
if there is a screen on, like I know a lot of people who like, they just cannot physically look anywhere else, especially in a restaurant or a bar. It's like, okay, but we're here. <laughs> Focus. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if it's an evolution thing or if it's just a distraction thing, but there are people that they're hardwired to focus on anything moving. And if there's a screenplay, there's always something moving. And that's, it's gotta be so taxing for your brain. Yeah. Which, I mean, I, I think we should probably take that into consideration when we're designing shows too. Ooh. I mean, like a lot of shows are so cluttered and so busy all the time. And sometimes the music warrants that of course, mm-hmm. but at other times it's kind of nice to just take in a chill moment of music and kind of accentuate that from a design standpoint as well. Do you find that you take a lot of your, the, your inspiration and your, uh, do you take a lot of your inspiration from the art galleries and then take it to the shows? Um, sometimes I, I feel like it's kind of impossible not to, uh, when you're, when that is the one thing that you are taking in, um, very frequently it's probably really difficult to not have that somewhere in your brain. Like you're, you're obviously not thinking, well, usually I'll say, usually you're not thinking, oh my God, that artist did this really cool thing. I'm going to take that and move it into our world because it is a completely different world and Mm -hmm. uh, like the art world versus the concert world. And a lot of, a lot of people who go to art museums do not go to concerts. And a lot of people who go to concerts would never be caught dead in an art museum. So I think, on some level you can get away with that and really enjoy um, bringing a little bit more attention to that work. Um, But there definitely seems to be a fine line between that, that theft, that art theft and, um, and just taking in hints of it and using it to inspire you. Yeah. I get, I get confused sometimes because it's a, it's a razor thin line between full on plagiarism and being inspired by somebody. So let's say, let's say, uh, let's take something like Jeff Koons with the, uh, the inflatable dogs and stuff. If you take a small one of those and put that on stage, no big deal. You just, you're doing balloon art. But if you blow up a huge sculpture of a giant metallic dog, you've created a new piece of art. Yep. Where do you think the line gets blurred there? I mean, one of my favorite examples of this is um, James Terrell and um, the artist Drake. Mm-hmm. So Drake put out a music video, I think four years ago, um, it's called Hotline Bling, and it is very much in the exact same style as James Terrell. And it became this whole thing where James Terrell was like, okay, but excuse me, hi, hello. And there was like a moment where um, James Terrell was saying, oh, I wasn't involved in any of this. And Drake's attorneys were saying, oh, like it's just a coincidence. There's no way. And then it came out like a little bit later um, Drake came out with a quote that just said, oh yeah, I fuck with Terrell, which is amazing. Like on so many levels, like he had clearly seen some of the artist's work and, um, Terrell came back with the quote, while I am truly flattered to learn that Drake fucks with me, I nevertheless wish to make clear that neither I nor any of my woes was involved in any way in the making of the hotline bling video. It's so funny to me, but also like... James Terrell had a ton of publicity from that. And he is working on this, um, this big earthworks art project um, in Nevada called Rodin Crater, which is this huge, huge project. Um, and he is taking donations um, in order to get that um, to fruition, I think in 2021 maybe. And okay. this, so this, this thing with this like little tiff with Drake has actually brought in a bunch of money. And now I think Kanye, um, donated ten million dollars to his foundation, like to the foundation that is creating this, and it's just this r- whole thing that if he hadn't just entirely stolen that artwork for his music video, maybe none of that had ever happened. Maybe his art doesn't get realized in the next couple of years, like they had been hoping. 
oh, that is kind of a double-edged sword there because your his artwork had to be so recognizable that other people are like, that's clearly a ripoff there. Yeah, 100%. But he also had to be humble enough to say, yeah, he did. Yeah. But I'm yeah. not going to... Did he, did he sue Drake or did he just yeah. go, go into a Twitter storm? He, I, he, I think he was actually really chill about it. And now they were saying that they, like, they went through some of Terrell's exhibits in LA together, and, and it's, which is the weirdest. Like, if you had ever brought those two worlds together in any other way, it would have been really, really strange and everyone would have been <laughs> it but because of this music video thing. They're like, yeah, cool. And I think he actually used some of it in their stage design too. So it must have really resonated with him. Okay. So as Pharrell, I would, uh, did I say it right, Pharrell? It's Drake. No, sorry, the, the artist. Oh, Pharrell, yeah, Pharrell. Okay. So I would imagine he was uh, flattered, but at the same time, he also had his art stolen. Oh, sorry, Terrell, James Terrell. Terrell, I'm sorry, Terrell. Sorry. Um, yeah, he 100% ripped off, which is, yeah. He, uh, he must so, have been conflicted about it, but he came out and just realized that it was, a, it was good publicity. You can take a left turn there and be flattered by the copycatting, mm -hmm. or you can take a right turn and just be livid that somebody stole from you. And I think you and I can both agree that Drake should have like reached out to Terrell and said, hey, I'm going to do this because it's cool. Uh, and I would imagine Terrell, if one of Terrell's agents got involved, they'd be like, well, yeah, for five fifty thousand dollars you can do that yeah, whereas if, you, if drake just goes and does it and then asks forgiveness later like yeah it's all good i i don't i don't know where the line i don't know where the line is I, other than the fact that terrell was not upset by you it. have to kind of hope that the artist is really cool with it. <laughs> <laughs> which i feel like in the art world is really tough to expect because it's so yeah, much so it's so much harder for an artist to make, like, to monetize what they're doing than it is for someone like Drake. So it's, I don't know. So to bring this to the lighting world, like if I designed a festival with three straight sticks and then a front truss and two side trusses, and then I went to another one and they, were, they, had, they also had three straight sticks and a front <laughs> truss and some sides, I couldn't go and like, Hey, you stole my design. What, what Dear gives? <laughs> you know. Oh yeah, you must have been there last week. Yeah, I mean, you guys put a uh, you guys put a grand MA two at front of house. I put a front of MA two at front of house. Mind blown. <laughs> yeah, so I, I mean, if it's but there are only so many things that you can do. So like, I feel like in. 2017, 2018, there were, I think, three major tours that all had big diamond iMac video walls in the center of their rig. And, mm -hmm. and those, those designers were all bummed out about each other because it came out at like, <laughs> such a good time. And I was just like, oh no. But they had to just, you know, okay, well, more, most video walls are a square. What are you like? Okay, cool. Let's be, be creative here. What if we turned it? Brilliant. So Brilliant. No one's ever done uh, it before. It's really tough. I rounded the corners and I made it a circle. Like you're mind blowing. That's... You have to, I mean, you have to realize that. And like, there are only so many things that you can do physically with the tools that you're given. Mm -hmm. So in festival designs in general, I always have a tough time deciding if it should be creative or if it should be functional because you can only you can only get so much out of a super functional festival rig you know obviously we all love the three straight sticks and oh, so front just give me straight sticks <laughs> right but let's say i'm a festival designer and i keep going back to the same with the same design year after year, they're like, hey, you're not even trying anymore. Can you, we kind of want to make our festival stand out and be a little bit more spectacular. Can you, can you help us out a bit? Like what can you do as a designer to show some creativity? Yep. I mean, so, the, 
the worst, my, one of my sweet, sweet friends, um, Stan Crocker does the designs for K-Rock, almost acoustic Christmas every year. And they are always interesting. Um, they're always really unique and beautiful and they are always the biggest pain in the ass. Um, because they like, they have lots of like curves and, and, um, I think that one of the, a couple years ago, there were these strings of magic dots that like, and they always, they're always cute and they always are Christmassy themed. And so that year, like the entire rig was a Christmas tree. And so the strings were, you know, strings of lights on the Christmas tree, but programming that is a nightmare. <laughs> because there, there's nothing like structural about that. And so if they just wiggle a little bit and the whole thing wiggles a little bit and just like, Stan, what are you doing to us? <laughs> so tough. And did you have guest LDs on that rig as well? Yeah, I mean, the whole thing is, the whole thing is guest LDs. It's a radio show. Oh my God. And so the entire time and poor uh, BJ Gray is the, the programmer for that. And so he is trying to put together positions and stuff, but like 3D is impossible for that. Um, and so it's just, it's really, really tough. Everyone, and no one has time. It's a turntable stage. So like you're, there's no time in between artists to take, like to do your positions or anything. There's literally a 30 second changeover. So you, like everything has to be either during the day when you have a, I think a, a 30 minute um, sound check or in previous. <laughs> So you're just fighting with it the entire time. Wow. Is it, is it at least symmetrical? Can you, can you do decent positions? Ish. Yeah. Ish. Okay. Early speaking. Yeah. Okay. I'll take, I'll take a fair, I'll accept a, that we all have to walk a fine line between function and art because yeah. I mean, we all need to be able to have, a rig that we can hand over to guest LDs, but we also need to be interesting. Yeah. You know, we can't all have spot wash, spot wash, spot wash at, at every single festival. Yeah. People would so. get bored. I feel like that's why you end up with a lot of video wall though on like the festivals are finding more interesting ways to do video wall so that you can still have spot wash, spot wash, spot wash. I mean like the Coachella main stage is now like, giant wraparound video wall so lighting is almost like the actual the, the festival rig is almost non-existent yeah it's that's another place where i have a hard time deciding where the line is drawn between stealing and and being inspired by because i see so many shows out there with what is clearly stock content mm -hmm. and then i see that a lot of other people have just laid something over some stock content and completely changed it. Yeah. I mean, with, what is the program? Um, with Notch, is it Notch? I think mm -hmm. it's Notch. Notch is like, that is the best thing about Notch is taking boring content and making it interesting. But, but, you know, but there are so many, like I've been working on, I've been using my, my quarantine time to learn After Effects and because video is not a world that I delve into too much. Um, and there is a lot of stock content. Mm -hmm. So I think like, because, because everyone is, is dealing with the exact same stock content, you'll see the same stuff. But right. I think the big thing about that is just how you make it your own. So let's say I take, let's say I do a tour in 2019 and we pay thousands of dollars for this content. It's, it's all custom. It's, and then I do a tour the next year and I'm like, Oh, you know, it'd be perfect. Is that the content from that song? <laughs> if I put it in after effects and I just put like a kaleidoscope or a blur or pinch it, yeah. did I change it enough to make it my own? Good question. Or let's say, just say I make it black and white. Yeah. I mean, is it I, I guess is the question. But I mean, if I, the designer, I'm sure that the artist would be bummed out about it. I would imagine the designer would, the content creator would come and say, "Hey, that's that's clearly mine." And then could I say, "Well, yeah, you got paid for it, so it yeah, belongs." 
does it belong to the band that, at that point? I think so. I think so too. It, it, I mean, that can also be related to lighting designs too. Like, okay, so you okay. create design, but then you had a personality clash with somebody, like they paid for that design. So right. does that design stay with the band? Probably. All right. So let's say that tour is over. I still have the content on the backup hard drive and nobody remembers that the backup hard drive exists. Now it's on my hard drive, but it's their content. Can I use it? You know, I don't know. I feel like uh, I, mean, I probably would if it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> But I would also, you know, it's, I think it does come down on some level to like, um, to if it's actually recognizable. Right. Okay. Well, are they going to, is, is anybody, or if there's even crossover, like, okay, if you're working with a rock band and you want to use that same clip of content for an, like an electronic artist, you're probably not going to get any of the same people. Right. So they're seeing it for the first time. Does the, does the content designer care? Do they care that it's not the same people? I don't know. I don't know. I don't hang I, out with content designers, but I would be interested to hear their, their take on that. I, I, that's probably the, the subject of a whole nother podcast is where the copyright exists and who owns what. And if there is no contract made, are we stealing art or are we being influenced? Yeah. I, you know, I would imagine if it was a Terrell, they would say like, oh man, thanks for so much for using that. I got paid for that uh, 10 years ago, but yeah, you can still, still use that, you know? But I mean, I think we would both agree that we can't sell it. Yeah, like if I have this content on my hard drive, I can't go selling that to somebody else. Yeah. But then does the content creator, like, does that person get, excited that their content is still out in the world being seen like is it better to be utilized than just sitting on a hard drive somewhere not being used if it's like if it's something that they're proud of and then you know yeah i mean there's just you know there's gigabytes of great content just sitting on hard drives all around the world i would imagine that it would be better to be using it than not but at the same yeah. time like yo i I want to get paid for that. I, oh my God. You're going to use it. And I created it. This is, this is what I'm finding out about after effects is that it takes so much time. Like just mm -hmm. editing something frame by frame is insane. So yeah, absolutely. Like you want to get paid for that time. The but decision want, making that goes into each color and fill and pinch and yep. Gaussian blur versus radiance blur versus totally fun yesterday i made a uh, i made a cartoon of a sheep running away from a burning barn just because it was there was stock content like stock images that i could find and so i animated them and it was so fun there are so many cool things have you played have you seen the uh, the saber plugin at all no that sounds fun it's really neat. um a friend of mine um chris rupel um has is does video content and stuff for a bunch of artists. And uh, he sent me this plugin when I told him that I was learning After Effects and it essentially can turn uh, shapes and uh, text into what looks like a lightsaber. <laughs> and it is totally fun. That is the nerdiest thing I've heard in quite a while. I, I expected some nerd talk coming from you, but that is, that's the pinnacle right there. Pretty good. I mean, the thing is like, even if you don't know that it's technically supposed to be a lightsaber, it is used in uh, in advertisements all the time, and so you'll like you'll see it. Oh yeah, they probably used that saber plugin just because it looks it's just glowing light, and so as we know, light makes everything cooler, um, and that is definitely the case in advertisement and animation as well. Okay, so let's take that same logic and apply it to like say a a notch block because i know i've been sitting at the lighting console with some of the other guys they take hours and hours to build like this super cool notch block where the live video gets turned into lightsabers 
Cool. Now let's say the the artists love that. And then the, let's say another artist comes and sees that show and they're like, whatever that is that you guys just did to that content, I want that as part of my show. I'm going to go reach out to my disguise operator and have him recreate the same thing. Did we just rip off that notch block or we're... I feel like that happens so often. I do too. Specifically, like someone sees one thing is like, oh, I want that in my show. Like, especially with with musicians, I mean, they (laughs) they don't really care. They're just like, oh, that's really cool. And that would fit into my show in this way. Yeah. All the time. Okay. So that artist is like, hey, that I want that in my show. Did they have to reach out to the production manager to get a hold of the notch operator to get that file sent over and paid for? Or do they just go to their own guy and say, hey, so I saw this, recreate that? I mean, I think more often than not, they just go to their own notch person and say, hey, recreate this. I think so too. You know, it's, it's the whole thing that we were, you were saying earlier is the better to ask forgiveness than permission. I feel like is pretty, pretty widespread in our industry, just along everything. I think the only thing you can fear is getting caught. And even then it comes down to the evidence and you have to retrace the entire step. And I don't think that's verifiable. Yeah. And I think a lot of the time you're dealing with the level of give a shit from the artist. (laughs) Like, because I feel like, I feel like most artists, if they see that, are just going to be like, yeah, okay, whatever, that asshole. And like, they're not going to, they're not going to pursue it, even if they, just because like, is it worth, is it worth trying to go down like a legal route to get compensation for something that was stolen like that? A lot of the time, it's just a waste. So I don't know. Yeah, I hate to think that it's a David and Goliath situation, but yeah, it's uh it's notch operator John Doe against Justin Timberpond. And you're like, what the hell? That's, you know, good on luck. The, on some level, I feel like that is just the same as like, I, I did a, a co-headlining tour a bunch of years ago. And the other, um, the other LD was this guy named Alex Specht, who is a sweetheart, a Chicago LD um, who has been doing this longer than I have. And he's, he's, much better than I am. He's great. Um, but we were, we were using a bunch of shared fixtures and I had one look that was literally just a Viper, like all of my Vipers in the starry, starry night gobo. And that was the only thing on stage. And then I like watched his show a couple of days later and he had almost an identical look. And it was just like, what the hell, man? We're using the same gear. <laughs> like, <laughs> you expect. <laughs> lights to work with so it's not like there was going to be anything totally groundbreaking coming out of us but on some level yeah you're using the same thing you're, you have the same exact gear to work with rotating gobo five that's my thing i rotate gobo five in a cross manner with a rotating slow alternate rotation what are you doing dare you strobe on that drum solo? (laughs) (laughs) Pay up, pay up. You know, that that was my inspiration there. So So true. I don't know if we're doing that out of convenience or if it's that we're just if we're just not digging any deeper, like, Hey, I saw Tess's look, the Congo with the, the blue or with the rotating gobo that works. I'll just, just put that in here. That'll work for the song. I've been looking for the right look right there. There it is. There, there it is. Yeah. Probably laziness, but a lot of the time, you know, you're limited on programming time or whatever, but then, then do you, it, I think it sort of depends on your reaction to that though. Like, how do you take that? Mm-hmm. Do you, bummed out about it or do you figure out a way to make that cooler for yourself do you put in a split gobo in that so that or sorry a split color um so that you can get a different look out of it or put 
you know, some delay on the intensity or something like, do you make it more interesting or do you just get bummed out? Well, you just touched on something that's a, another major point that uh, I wanted to cover is that our art is generally restricted by logistics. You know, a lot of the times they won't ask you what your artistic impression of the song is. They'll be like, hey, Tess, give us a much, as enough stuff that'll fit in half a truck. <laughs> yeah. Like, hey, Tess, how creative can you be with half a truck? Well, I've been working on, I'm doing a webinar for Martin, and so I've been talking with them about, or I've been working on some concepts with that. And one of the things that my partner and I have been discussing is that creativity does not come from abundance. So if you are limited, way, then a lot of the time you are forced to be more creative and you thus get better at your job. Yeah, a lot of creativity has come from very strict demands. Like, hey, Tess, you have 12 minutes to load in and you've got a quarter truck and you have 45 minutes, a 45 minute set. Yeah. What do you and, do? Yeah. And uh, your budget is negative $50. <laughs> so pay up. What do I have around the house? <laughs> <laughs> Perfect example. A lot of people, they will, they'll like, okay, then festoons. We're doing festoons and I'm going to rock these festoons. So many festoons. Yeah. Or, you know, like, do you, do you go to Home Depot yourself and figure out something cool? Like what materials can you use that are not traditional for mm -hmm. your world? I'd like to think that the LED revolution is seriously helping add production value for a low low to medium budget because you can throw up some nice led bars for fairly inexpensive and as long as your timing's right and your tempo's right you can do some really cool looks absolutely i've done i so one of the weirder gigs um or one of the weirder challenges that I've been I've, I've dealt with over the last couple of years is working with Ben Folds with no lighting package ever. And some of the venues that we have been booked at are insane. And so one, like one of them was completely outdoors in this crazy roof and that doesn't cover the stage. So it was raining and we were just getting wet and it's terrible, but also like we just threw up a handful of led pars around these like, like interestingly designed, pillars of the stage and that made a giant difference and led pars are probably some of the cheapest things you can possibly find yeah yeah if you get the wrong ones you're going to be replacing them often but if you get the right ones you've got a really sturdy touring rig yeah and for pretty cheap yeah, yeah. uh i went and saw sooner when she did the imagine dragons it was like a promo tour and it was just a goalpost of led fixtures uh, led bars and it was so good i couldn't i couldn't imagine how much time it took her to get the timing right but i mean she was just basically a, a self-supporting structure with some led stuff and imagine dragons on stage and it was she hit everything that needed to be hit. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's also a sign of a good LD too, is when you can make the most out of a small situation. Like, okay, like that's cool that you can run a rig with 200 lights in it and, and knock it out of the park. But what can you do in this like 600 cap room that has barely any overhead rig and you have mm -hmm. a couple psych lights on the ground? Like, what do you, what can you do? Not to uh, discredit any of the mega rigs, but sometimes just turning on 200 lights is spectacular. Yeah. Just making 200 lights in a position and in a, a matching color is yeah. spectacular. Yeah. Even, I mean, it's interesting now that we have, I mean, uh, obviously we we have gone a long ways from the giant walls of park hands like that. Um, but with some of the, the smaller fixtures, 
like the magic dot and that you can just have a complete wall of and it is so transformative like mm -hmm. the, it's it just yeah it, the moment you just create this beautiful moment of those 200 fixtures who are some of the artists these days that are kind of inspiring you to be more minimalist like that artist 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 artists artist artist um one now, of let's the, say print artist or canvas artist or sculpture artist yeah, outside art. of light artist gallery artist gallery artist um um uh, my partner and i were in germany recently and there is a town called una that is about a 40 minute train ride from i think dortmund is where we were and they have a um the center for international light art which just art, just go a little pitter patter um and so we went and checked it out and it's a small it's a, actually a brewery that has been turned into a light art museum they were like we we had two options like we could we could either trash this place or we could turn it into a light art museum what there were so many options other than those two <laughs> options okay sure um but so they they it's there's it's a small space and it just you go down a couple floors into basements of all these light artists and really really neat um but one of the artists um i think his name was misha kubal and he had this whole room decked out with three mirror balls and three projectors and two of the mirror balls were spinning at different speeds and then the projectors were projecting words onto the mirror balls which were then sending just letters all over the room which is one of the coolest things that i've ever seen in my life and immediately i going back to you know stealing ideas all the time that i was like i want to do that in every tour forever <laughs> so that's not i mean it's sort of minimalist and if you like there's literally no lighting to that yeah. but such a cool idea so that's mirror definitely. balls letters so yeah. just shooting random letters all over the room yep. no nope. so like, what could you do if you're if you had a mirror ball with larger squares like what or with larger mirrors could you yeah. project it onto that and then send images all over <gasps> so cool what a great impact too because the human brain would be trying to find patterns in yeah. the letters but you just you couldn't yeah because they're missing you know they would catch parts of words, but then also like the ones that are spinning, they were spinning decently slow and they were like, one of them was completely stopped. So you could actually read what, like if you looked at the entire wall of that, you could see, oh, okay. So that word is this. Um, but the rest of it, you're just trying to figure out section by section. Okay. Well, I'm seeing this, these letters 20 times. So then what is the next set? That's little things like that that make me so impressed at how much we can do with very little. I mean, a projector and a couple mirror balls. That's easy. That's impactful. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, like I would hate to tour with mirror balls because they're sort of terrible just in general, um, and they get destroyed really easily. But yeah, yeah, super impactful and simple. You could do that in a club tour. You could hang that stuff every day. Wouldn't even have to carry any support structure. Uh, one of the designers that I immediately think of when we start talking about uh, impactful minimalism is Miles Mangino uh, with the Pixies. Mm -hmm. And he uses things like shower doors and half mirror balls and just finds really interesting angles. And uh, there's More things that you, you're clearly doing that with projection. He's like, nope, that's a rotating gobo with a half color. Yeah. No way. He did I, recently, I don't, I think it was for the Pixies. Um, um, he was doing a, a tour with, com, with no video element, but it completely looked like video just from the gobos that he was choosing. He does some of the most interesting gobo work that I have ever seen in my life. And I really, I like, so we did two tours together because I was with Weezer when Weezer was doing um, uh, co-headliners with the Pixies. And so I got to see his show transform over those two tours and it was really really fascinating same thing with um some of the fixtures that he was using and he would you know turn up turn an led wash light around onto the curtain and then put um 
put a lens shaper on it and it would create these like eyeball type looks on the curtain that I had never seen before. I was like, that is, that is so neat and something that I had not even thought to do. He's so remarkably creative with so little. Uh, some of his stuff you could never clone because it's, it's like beam shaper things that make it look like content and it's amazing. Oh man, it's got it. Yeah. Using, using that show with a, with a different rig must be a trick, but, <laughs> but for the tourist, yeah. Some just really cool stuff that really actually accentuates the music too. Just, yeah. oh man. And he knows, he knows when to not have all your lights on too, which I <laughs> thoroughly appreciate. That's a learned skill that people have to, sometimes we have to get it beat into us. Yeah. You can, the darkness is your friend. Negative space. Negative space, exactly. So, so what are you doing at home these days to kind of maintain the artistic flow and uh, keep things going beyond the, uh, beyond the letters? Oh man, beyond the letters. Um, I've, like I said, I've been working on After Effects, and so I'm just creating a video. Like I'm trying to create a new random video clip every day. Wow. Uh, which you know they're small. They're like five, five right. to ten seconds long. But it's I'm finding tutorials, and then I'll take that tutorial and and just kind of play from that and say, okay, well, let's search some random object and then get an image of that object. And just none of it actually matters to anything, but it's just you know playing around with the skills. Uh, yeah, I didn't amazing. realize how much of our inspiration comes from just not being in the same room every day. Oh my god, I'm so sick of my my space. I'm ready to travel. Yeah, it's my home. It's it's my palace, you know. But at the same time, I'm like, God damn, I need to get to be somewhere that's not here. I just it's weird because every aspect of our like of touring people's lives is different because we're not getting anything that we normally get out of that um, that excitement that you get from touring and a friend of mine um who used to tour with with rock bands as a teenager um would always he would tell me that touring always made your life way more exciting than it had any right to be and I, that is ringing so remarkably true right now is that when i don't have that in my life i'm like oh my god my life was so exciting how am i going to get that back to that exciting level again that is a great quote. I love that one. Good. It's true. Our job is so much better than so many other people's. <laughs> and there's no, we're so fortunate. You know what? I've been here. I've been home for, you know, what is it? Two months now. I finish an eight hour day's worth of work. And I go out my door and there's no applause. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody starts oh, clapping for me. Oh man. The only, the only kind of, um, of appreciation you get is like when you, it's like personal, it's all in your head because you're like, you check something off of a checklist. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yay for me. <laughs> when I finish the podcast and I, and my day is done and I go back to my kids and I drop the mic Nobody offers me a beer right off the bat. Like, hey, you should you deserve a beer after eight hours of work. For free. I have to pay yeah. for Now I have to go to the store and get my own beer. I have subsequently just not. I haven't like the only beers that I've had in the last two months have been like on social distancing hangouts with my friends. Because <laughs> I'm just like, I don't I don't want to bring beer back to my house. Yeah, i people just give me these for free. I'm not gonna go out and buy this stuff. Oh that money that's so silly <laughs> oh. I've, I've also found myself walking around just like walking far away to try to get into neighborhoods that I've never seen because that is so much of my life on a regular basis is just seeing new things <sighs> yeah see you're you're a creature of habit you're looking for something outside you're looking for some sort of inspiration somewhere yeah yeah, yeah. where do you find it right now it's so hard I saw that uh, Emily Bornt was doing that exact same thing. She's just filming her, her outings and creating little, uh, little screenplays based on them. Yeah. And she's been, she's been learning, I think, Cinema 4D as well. 
and you know because we're all trying to make ourselves better and more valuable but yeah i mean what a nice what a nice thing to do you're like it's getting you outside and also teaching you a new thing it's perfect uh, we are almost out of time i appreciate every moment spent with you i would absolutely rather do this in a bar in Denver, Colorado somewhere, as opposed to sitting through my screen. Yeah, someday. What is the best possible day off activity? Just one thing? Yeah, you're the pinnacle. You're on a tour. You're coming to the last day off. You can do anything you want to. What's on your day off itinerary? I mean, most of the time I'm, I'm a creature of habit. So I do, I do the same things I, like every day off, but I will say that I'll just, I'll go back to a day off that I had in 2018 um, where we all went and floated a river in outside of Boise. And it was probably one of the best days off I've ever had in my life. It was just, just hanging out with, with people that I enjoy on tour and relaxing and enjoying the outdoors it was perfect river rafting day off that sounds like a winner to me yeah, so good so good perfect weather just yeah right on well thank you so much for your time tess this has been great that it's, uh, it's really nice to reach out to a uh, a longtime friend i'm i'm feeling the i'm feeling the glove up here it's getting getting to be some long days where it's we don't even call them by days anymore we just call them blurs day <laughs> blurs day <laughs> what day is it blurs day i've just been calling it day so like yeah. on uh, on day we're gonna do this one thing um but yeah. i like blurs day i might steal that blurs day oh well it's this has been a very nice breakup of the monotony so i really appreciate you having well, me on. 